welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ed Greer. And I'm Santa Producer Bill. <laughs> and this episode is about sort of, uh, I don't know, the new beginnings, the new year's about to be around the corner. We're going to talk about uh, some of the stuff that we're doing, and uh, we're definitely going to get to uh, Black Adam and the DC Slate later, I bet. <laughs> I bet the greatest, the greatest new beginning one could imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, but uh, as as we get rolling here, uh, you are in Chicago now. I am in the midst of the polar vortex, baby. Yes, sir. So you're in Chicago, uh, actual winter. I'm in LA where it was 78 degrees. We're not. Oh. This isn't weather talk. The show, but I. I do not miss Missouri winters, bro. No. And uh, this one is particularly bad. I was out shopping for some last Christmas gifts on the 23rd, and it was negative six degrees, and it was <laughs> negative six degrees with a sideways wind. I felt like one of the penguins in March the Penguin. I was like, <laughs> you, you literally thought you might drop dead walking from like the parking lot into the, into the store. It was terrible. Dude, the last time I was in severe cold, I went I went back to Missouri for something. I actually did that rookie move where you have like a little piece of skin. Like maybe you have like little shorter socks and there's mm-hmm. a little piece of skin that sometimes comes open from like your cuff of your pants to your to your like little shin there. And the wind just finds those and just (laughs) zips across them like a fucking box cutter. Just zip, 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 zip. Your wrists, your neck, your ankles. It just finds holes in your clothes and attacks you. Oh, never, never before was I so pissed that I didn't have a COVID mask on because, yeah, the my my beard area was just absolutely frozen. (laughs) Dude, yeah, and that's why that's how dudes get those uh, like icicles. That's how you know it's cold. You look at a motherfucker's beard, and there's there's shit in there, and you're like, "Hey, oh, man, no, I mean, I was literally a, like ice." <laughs> yeah, I was literally crunching my uh, my mustache as I was in between stores. It was not to make this weather <laughs> talk, but yes, Christmas <laughs> is cold this year. Ice, ice, baby. So that being so, basically, um, what we wanted to talk about this morn. Is I finally saw Black Adam, bro. Oh, yeah. This, this is a great Christmas tradition right here. Watching Black Adam. Dude. <laughs> well, I talked to uh, Jeffrey Baldinger on, on a Patreon or two that I did with him. And uh, we were talking about how Violet Night should be like now just you go. Christmas time comes. You're you're from 14 to 48, I guess. You want to put that movie on and rock that motherfucker. That should be the new "You'll Shoot Your Eye Out" movie, or or one of those type of movies for the, for this generation. I really think it's going to be, and I, I'd love to flash forward temporarily, like 30 mm. years in the future, and just mm. see like people being like, "Huh, when are we going to watch Violent Night?" Like like <laughs> little kids that are born at that time being like. Yeah, come on, put it on. It's the best. It is. I mean, it's I think since Elf, it is the new hot Christmas movie. And like this was the first year I really recognized that all the streaming services had gone like all in with their own versions of Hallmark Christmas stories. And yeah. like that shit will rot your brain. But every <laughs> now and then <laughs> you get a new Christmas classic. And I don't know that we've had one really since Elf. And I think Violent Nights could be that generational occurrence. Yeah, dude. Violent Night is like, 
again, one of those like uh, great ideas. Uh, I, I heard uh, I was reading some articles. It's funny it didn't come up when we talked to Pat and uh, Pat and Josh, but like apparently they came up with it in detention <laughs> one day. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to be said for starting with a great title too, and that title yeah. rocks. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so basically. I did uh, take time off from watching good things to watch Black Adam. No, no, we can't do that. Ooh, I'm not going to be negative. He's no, swinging. I'm not, I'm not going to be negative off the bat. I'm going to pronounce to you 10 things I liked about Black Adam. And I'm, this is off the top of the dome, so you can help me. Help me, please supplement me if you think <laughs> of anything. But, okay, I did enjoy a lot of how the rock looked in there. Now I, I it's overcoming something for me because I don't like black Adam. I don't like the Marvel family. I don't think they're particularly interesting. They're too magical for me, as you'd probably understand, but I've always liked how black Adam looked in the comics and the way they translated it to the screen is like, his like Shazam arrow or lightning bolt being a little dirty and fucked up. Uh, uh, great job art department. That's fine. Good job. I, mm-hmm. I felt that that was kind of cool. I liked the way uh, that's number one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm doing supersets of compliments, you know, <laughs> in the, in the, the gym. Second day of black Adam. <laughs> Ed said to me, uh, the second thing I, I kind of liked a lot of his flight dynamics. Like, he seemed mm. to just sort of put his arms down when he was going really fast. But other than that, like the floating to the like flying fast, but sort of standing up horizontally, he was doing like almost like a, a fast character in the sky, like fly up to a helicopter and just move laterally super fast without fully supermaning out. Yeah. I got to say, great job, special effects department. Great job. You know, in terms of the performance, the, the physical performance that The Rock was giving, I thought he captured that sort of haughty. I am a God. I don't care about you physicality really well, which is part of what you're talking about. Absolutely. Okay. On the third day of, <laughs> so, so, okay. The third thing I would say is getting kind of tired. Got to take a rest. Um, I I, this is uh, tough. The, now we're digging deep. Number three. <laughs> okay. Number three. I liked honestly the costume design for the most part of Dr. Fate and um, Hawkman. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when I envision what they would look like on screen, they don't look better or worse than that. That's how they look. That's how they would be on screen. I, and that surprised the fuck out of me because I was expecting some goofy filigree on Dr. Fate or something like the blank face on the helmet and the fucking it looked pretty dope. I, I think Dr. Fate was about as good as you could ever ask for. I, I, I'm i sure mm-hmm. I'll have some things to say about Hawkman later, but um, yeah. I do agree at least about the helmet for Hawkman, like. That yeah. goofy ass design, they made that shit work. So good. For That's that. what I'm saying. Like Hawkman, like, okay, DC fans did not crucify us, but Hawkman looks fucking stupid. But there are people like um uh Julian Tedesco, uh-huh. you know, who can draw it. Uh, if you've ever seen his work, it's like it's sort of this muted painted sort of work. Jesus Christ, he makes Hawkman look fresh as fuck. And the people who designed his costume for this, he looked like as cool as that costume could look. I'm sorry. That's sort of like, I got all my chesticles out and my abs out. Like, my armor consists of no clothes. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he's the first dude yeah. to dress like a girl into battle. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I was just going to say, his costume in the comics originally was essentially green tights and suspenders over no <laughs> shirt <laughs> with giant wings. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and they retained this 
spirit, I guess, <laughs> of yeah. that. No, that's what I mean. Like the translation there was about as good as you could ask for, I suppose. So without right. completely reinventing the wheel. Yeah. So they they bring out the no armor warrior. Even it, uh, only thing I okay, I'm not no negatives yet. <clears throat> Fuck. Mm-hmm. Okay. Keep it number, keep it rolling. Number four. No, I think four. we're on five already. Five. Right? Are we on five? Four. Yeah, four was Doctor Fate in them. Okay. Who shit. I, it, it'll be funny in the edit if we're wrong. But anyway, five. <laughs> okay, five. The performance of Mo Amer as uh, the electrician guy that oh, was the like, brother. yeah, the brother. I thought, I think he was better than that movie. I think they, if they slide him into a better movie, that would have been really great. But as it is, it's such a highlight, you know. Like I just felt like that character kind of worked. I wish that character was more like. Have that character just be the kid's dad or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, be okay with the kid's dad being a dork and his mom being a revolutionary. Maybe yeah. that's too woke. <laughs> but I would love that. I would love that. That's that's personalities. You know what I'm saying? There's some people right. whose girls are going to go go at the alien with a bike chain, and some guys are going to be like, let me devise a way to not have to fight them. <laughs> there, There's people like that. I agree with that. I, yeah, I thought he was definitely the highlight of the movie. That also makes me think in terms of um, just the comedy bits that that character was part of that worked. The right. whole opening action sequence where Black Adam first returns, as far as positives go, like both the choreography and the effects, like that shit was pretty dope. There was some it questionable was stuff dope. sprinkled yeah. in there. But like, yes. yeah. The overall effect of it actually worked as in this dude perceives time different than you. This dude is straight up magical. Like you coming at him with all this bullshit is futile. How, uh, I'll save it for the negatives. It did have an, it, it did have a deleterious effect for the rest of the movie though, because he was exactly. so goddamn invincible, but the effect that they wanted and you know, the rock one, it was this ain't a story about how black adam can lose and shit because black adam don't lose (laughs) (laughs) don't don't worry about that part this is a story about how he could gain redemption brother now in between sets i'll tell you my motivation for this movie and it is i have to get motivated to be a hero this whole i'm not a hero because i do the most expedient murderous thing to actually caring about the people of kind of not just being an avenger but a protector situation Mm -hmm. you know sort of arc yeah. That's what it was about, brother. Now I gotta drain down this shake and go do some do some lap pull downs. But uh, <laughs> thank you for your time, brother. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I'll count that as number seven. That at least on paper, The Rock did have a real and sort of compelling arc in this. Boom! There you go. Oh, damn! Thank you, baby. That's what I'm talking about. This real true teamwork. We're trying to get trying to do this CrossFit workout where we carry a log up to outer space. Uh, so, right, so three okay. to go, baby. Three to go. Here Ooh. we go. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> likening this to lifting weights is a master stroke by me. Okay, um, okay, because uh, uh, it fits with the theme. Okay, uh-huh. oh, you know what? Skinny, skinny, the rock. I loved oh, it. Yeah. I loved it because check it out. It was like they didn't make him like Steve Rogers or no shit. They made him skinnier than the rock, mm-hmm. and that look being anywhere near convincing they they like loki had to shave his head down because his big ass <laughs> head on a on a on a slimmer regular fit person's body would be insane so just uh, the mastery of that like go weta go uh chinese company that went out of business after this movie came out go mm-hmm. whoever did that section of the effects 
I really was compelled by that because Black Adam is a superhero version of that guy. Like, and it's almost like The Rock giving himself a compliment. Like, hey, if a regular guy just dreamed real hard and wanted to be powerful enough to help his people, he would turn into me. <laughs> I mean, the, look, we can't escape the fact, for better or for worse, like this is just a neutral statement. This entire movie is the biggest vanity project for The Rock. Like, he just mm-hmm. comes in and is like, I'm going to be more powerful than Superman. This entire country is going to love me. I am going to be the ideal version of a man in their culture. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. the whole thing is just <laughs> ridiculous. Dude. So, okay. So, wait. What? Fuck. That's seven. What's eight? Eight? No, no. I think that was eight. That so eight? Think, no. Okay. Eight. Okay. Woo. We got two more. Okay. Two more. Breathe Not- deep. <sighs> okay. Uh, think about those slights from high school. Trauma. <laughs> Trauma building. Uh, okay, nine. I think that. Th- fuck. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh I. Th- I th- <laughs> you liked you liked the kid on the skateboard. That was your favorite part of the movie. Uh, oh no! I fucking wish no. it was because I would get this weight off of my chest right now. It's, it's crushing my fucking sternum. Nobody's here to spot me. No. Um. Uh, can, can I say Hogman's mace? I said his yeah. costume before. Okay, Hawkman's mace was cool. I like how it, I like how it spun into place and different shit. I thought that was pretty cool. And I think he even put it into like a pocket dimension in his chest, or a, or it or it went around his back or something. I saw it two times, but he whipped it out of nowhere. It like yeah. came out of a pocket dimension or something, which was fresh. And I love how they didn't explain it at all. It was just like this: is how I do it, you know. Mm-hmm. I love that. Again, I'm not necessarily down with nano helmets and shit, you know, this whole just pixelated effect, kind of goofy, not even good looking pixelated effect that they do for people's nano helmets and Marvel, DC, whatever. I I personally hate that. I'll let it slide in this one. There were different things that I guess were just like nth metal. It just does (laughs) weird stuff, you know. Uh, Okay. Okay. Now, number 10, number 10, number 10. I I think that I think it was cool when, when he got it, when he got a cape, the different times he had a cape. That was cool. You know what? I will agree. I I thought that the they were both restrained and justified in kind of cycling him through some different costumes. I yep. appreciated that. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> Feel the pump. Feel the pump, Ed baby. Is sweating. That is like that is like <laughs> Ivan Drago at the end of that training montage. <laughs> <laughs> Those are those are positives, and then may, I mean, we might catch a couple stray positives as we kind of get into it. But like when you when you saw it so much longer than me, how did how did you sit on all of these things we're about to talk talk about? You are you must be Horton here's a who or some shit because you sat on that for so long. I saw in the theaters. I mean, I kind of walked out of that theater going, "Oh, they're gonna have to just reboot DC at this point." Because, like, I think, <laughs> and it's like I almost let the specifics of the movie go because I walked out of the theater just being like, "Well, none of this matters because, like, this whole thing was the Rock trying to throw a hail mary and become like the center point of the new DC." trying to bring it back into shape after, you know, the implosion around the Snyderverse and everything else. And you walk out of the movie and you're just like, oh, this isn't going to work. And so I think <laughs> I, I think I was just so resigned to like, ah, you know, none of this matters that I was able to sort of take it on its own merits as like, all right, there, as we just discussed, there was some interesting shit in there. 
And then a lot of it just felt, honestly, again, I, <laughs> the whole thing was just The Rock spent 15 years on this. And that's what you do for me. And it's like, <laughs> I, it, it, I almost can't. I almost can't do anything but just laugh at it. Like it, it, nothing about it pissed me off in that pedantic fan way because it's like, it just is what it is. So I think that's how I was able to sit on my thoughts. You know what? I, I think that that's admirable because honestly, I, I, I don't, I don't want to engage with this as something so offensively bad because it's not, but that's what makes it so offensive no. is that it's just like, you guys obviously worked hard on a bunch of this shit, and we're not. We gotta. If I ever met anybody involved in one of these movies, with this movie in particular, I'd be like, "Can I please shake your hand?" Because I know that that was like by far the best they could do with what each person was given. Like Aldous Hodge, I was talking to somebody who knew Aldous Hodge as a punk kid, which I can't even imagine. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I knew him as a punk kid just running mm-hmm. around, like, "Hey, that kid used to be around the office," and I was like, "Wow, that's so weird." That's but he wouldn't even know him that way. But anyway, he sprouted up into a movie star and then he gets to be a big hero in a big movie. And it's that. And, he, and you get the script and like each scene is you showing up, Matt, you're rich as fuck. You live in the X mansion. I guess you moved in the DC, DC <laughs> multiverse versus the X mansion. You moved in. Cause they, they got a, they got a place. They got a tennis court that pops up at SR 71. Excuse me. A Raptor bullshit thing that you did I, boy that was some real x-men and then so like he he owns the x-men mansion he's uh he's connected with amanda waller for I, everybody's connected to amanda waller for amorphous dc reasons right you know what i mean so like i, I just all that was cr- bullshit and then you read this but you read the script you're a rich ass guy you're connected with amanda waller oh what you about to do let me see what my lines are oh, i'm just kind of bland in here okay okay let me just flip forward ah oh, i'm screaming at black adam even do i do i know him have I ever encountered him? No. Oh, I'm just real mad because he's okay. Yeah, I'm, you know, and so on and so forth through the whole script. It's just like, oh wait, a this is where he electrocute me, and I got to scream like a little bitch for what? Okay, I got you. I got you. I'm gonna scream like a little bitch. Okay, and so on and so forth. Like, oh, I'm gonna come at him with a, another ineffectual attack and get totally fucked up. Okay, cool, 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 cool. And I'm gonna be screaming at him and like, like act like I'm mad at him because now I'm mad at him for a real reason because he beat my ass like three, four times on my count so far. Oh, you, you're not going to cut none of these out. Okay. And then, la- and then later in the movie, oh, now I'm his bitch. And I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that he's the best for, I, I just decided that. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what the, f- oh my God, dude. It was all WWE logic. Like the yes. rock fingerprints were all over that. It's like, yes. we need a character to put me over in good old fashioned wrestling terms. Yes. And it's like, here's a guy that we're gonna we're gonna essentially portray as this amorphous level of superhuman strength. He's lifting cars over his head like it's no big deal. He's like ne- not bleeding or getting scratched up as we punch him through buildings. But the only thing he's ever gonna accomplish physically is just getting his ass beat by me. And then while I'm beating his ass, he's gonna be trying to get on a high horse and deliver these upright moral sermons to me. And I'm gonna both be telling him he's a punk ass, and the action is gonna prove that he's a punk ass. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so that the only result at the end is he now knows how badass I am, and he can tell the audience straight up. And it's like, holy shit, man. Like, this <laughs> is just a pro wrestling storyline. Dude, to the point where he's the people's champ. You know what I mean? His arc is heel to people's champ. 
that, yeah. that's the that's the arc. And it's hilarious because it's like you almost see the rock and a screenwriter, and I, forgive me, I don't know who wrote this movie, but like the rock and the screenwriter sitting down, and the screenwriter having all these ideas about Dr. Fate. And The Rock being like, yeah, 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 but who am I going to punch? And it just becomes <laughs> The Rock gives you the Hawkman storyline and the Hollywood screenwriter gives you the Dr. Fate storyline and you just throw them together in the blender. Dude, and let's talk Let's talk blasphemy because this is what – we are a creative podcast. We are not a fucking like just bash everything podcast. So no. l- given the fucking parameters of the movie – you know that DC on high, whoever was in charge at that time, whatever, you know, person got shuffled up onto the to the death throne at that moment who was in charge of this. You know one of the dictates was put the fucking JSA in here. This sure. is a prime area to put the JSA in there, and they have a very magical character in Dr. Fate. Just do that, please. So I was talking to actually uh, Pat Casey. Uh, fuck it. I was at like a little the get together that he had. And I was telling them my fix for black Adam, like right off the biz at my fix, given the dictates they had, anybody can fix it. Given just thinking, just being like, Oh, I'll just make up a whole new story, you know, but given the dictates they had, this is how you fix it. Fucking Dr. Fate and fucking Carter Hall, maybe one of his versions from way back in the days, thousands of years ago in Kandak, that was the adventure that bound black Adam. They were chiefly responsible for it. That's it. That's the fix. Everything springs from that. There is no weird demon crown villain and a demon crown on it. Bullshit that was never effective. The character, when he put the demon crown on and became a superhuman to fight Black Adam, that was never compelling or cool. That was the stupidest shit ever. If you're going to have JSA, that was so, but that was actually pathetic. That was the only part of the movie that was actually pathetic was that demon crown character. The, The third act of this movie was just the most boring, inconsequential, bad CGI, bad choreography that Mm -hmm. you will see in a superhero. This rivals fucking Suicide Squad. And I'm talking the original David Ayer, chopped to hell Suicide Squad for Mm -hmm. just absolute mess of a third act. So yes, I'm very much with you on that, on the demon and all that. I like your fix though. I I mean, it's right there on the the one. I think it's right there because it's like, okay, and maybe Naboo, uh, the thing that gives Dr. Fate its power, maybe Naboo, uh, uh, it'd be funny if Naboo shows up, Amisa gonna fuck you up with magic. (laughs) 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 But but, uh, the original Naboo uh, Mm -hmm. was uh, an ancient wizard slash cosmic entity, maybe even like maybe not even corporeal thing, but we don't even understand what Naboo really is, I don't think. He was uh, like sort of an eldritch creature because I, somewhere in the DC cosmology are the lords of chaos and the lords of order. And mm-hmm. so Naboo was one of the lords of order. And I think that the lords of chaos have essentially been portrayed as like eldritch creatures lurking out in the dark, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, so, so like basically whatever, whatever fate is in my version, the helmet, man, you put that helmet on an extreme emergencies. It's like etrogen. Jason Blood don't just go around calling the demon Etrigen to come out because when he comes out, it fucks shit up. It's like if you could control the Hulk. Like, oh, shit, what situation is so bad that I got to let the Hulk out and get it handled? You know what I mean? I love that sort of variation of character. And and they kind of did a little bit of hinting at that with Dr. Fate. But anyway, Naboo and his familiar of, you know, 2000 BC or whatever the fuck they were dealing in, they are the ones 
who run up against Black Adam in a good old fashioned prehistory superhero battle over the hearts and minds of the people or whatever. And they like defeat him and, and shackle him and stuff. And then they see him all these years later and they've they've transformed into new people and they, you know, or whatever. You could do that whole thing, or you could have Naboo remembering that exact event and imparting it to, you know, Pierce Brosnan. I don't know, just whatever you want to do to make that magic shit. And then Carter Hall, get into the what Carter Hall is. Like, give me time to know that he's a reincarnated slash alien slash whatever the mythology is you're gonna pick, whatever. Show me yeah. that. They eschewed all of that for skateboard kid, idiotic rebel plot. If you were a mother, would you have your kid anywhere near your so-called revolutionary activities to be like a fucking distractor? Why wouldn't they know what the kid looks like? They know what this chick looks like. Why wouldn't they know what her kid looks like? It's so much of that bullshit they could have spent on making Hawkman a fucking character. That's all I got to say. Yeah. No, I mean, this movie is definitely suffering from the syndrome of let's cram in anything we can think of and just hand wave how it all connects. Because, again, there's some stuff on paper that makes sense. And this whole idea of like an oppressed country needing its mythical champion to return from beyond in order to rise up against oppressors Mm -hmm. on paper, that sounds great. But when you put it in there and you, first of all, the oppressors are like intergang. And so now we're bringing in this whole aspect of the DC mythology that ostensibly would need an explanation, but doesn't get one. And frankly, by halfway through the movie is no longer even a story point in this movie, because Mm -hmm. then you also have the JSA and whoever the hell they are and their total lack of motivation. So it's like that original kernel of like, oh man, you know this guy's a champion of the oppressed and this country has been colonized and he's going to help them rise up just gets lost completely. And I think Mm -hmm. everything in this movie suffers from that, like every little aspect. And what's really funny to me with, with what you're talking about, it doesn't even have to be big changes to what we already got. Like Mm -hmm. even aesthetically make the choice to not stick Hawkman in the X mansion with, you know, alien technology that never gets explained put them in a creepy old crumbling manner full of art you know architectural artifacts and candlelight and like he's still leading the justice society which my reading of this was that they were essentially like a known international band of heroes that didn't answer to any state so he had some sort of like tenuous relationship with Amanda Waller like let that be what it is so you got this creepy dude you know who's got money from all of his archaeology and he knows Dr. Fate and they gather people together and go on missions and yeah like you said lean into the magic of it all and then Hawkman gets premonitions and throughout the movie you get you know you're getting parsed out the fact that he's he he has some connection to these reincarnated lives Dr. Fate works exactly like you were talking about, which Mm -hmm. really doesn't change anything in this movie other than the flashbacks. And it's like, boom, boom. The unwillingness to make the JSA the villains in the movie, or rather, as we as we know now, the contagonist of the movie. Sure. Be be okay with having a sort of a like the fugitive on some level in the fugitive. You're almost rooting for both people like the homeboy is so Tommy Lee Jones is so good at his job. You root for him to catch up to Dr. Kimball. But then, of course, you root for Dr. Kimball to get away. And then, like, heat, things of this nature, where you're kind of rooting for both people, but you kind of have your favorite, but you kind of want the game to be close, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, and and again, if 
they didn't get so wrapped up in the shenanigans of like intergang and the country fighting back against intergang. But within the rebels, there's this secret faction that's tied back to the monarchy from 6,000 years ago, which itself ties into black Adam. And so now we just have this random guy who's going to become empowered to be a super powerful demon all in the service. Like there's really no other reason for that to be in the movie than to just have a big bad to fight at the end. Like, Take a step back, play into the connections between Dr. Fate, Hawkman, Black Adam, let that be the meat of your movie, and then maybe at the end, because it's a nebulous sort of like, we don't give a shit about this guy anyway from a narrative standpoint, just have, it's either the United States, which could be an interesting statement, or just some other random country, it's Quarak, which is like the stand-in, you know, Mm war-torn country in D.C., is the neighbor of this little, you know isolated country of Kondok. And at the end, they're going to send in fighter jets. and But they're essentially going to go all out assault just to level Kondok, whatever it is. And so that's mm-hmm. your ticking clock through the movie. It's like, all right, this country's about to be invaded. These people are fleeing, whatever. And amidst, maybe they're evacuating the goddamn country. And amidst mm-hmm. that, this small group of people are looking for a way to contact their mystical savior. But when he awakens the avatars of these other powers like you're talking about have to come in and stop him. And the sort of Damocles over all of it is like, there's about to be a full on invasion from this powerful other country. Like and at the end of that, you get your whole thing of like basically black Adam defeating another country's fucking army and then yeah. showing them mercy as they run away with the tail between their legs. And you know, there's a new sheriff in town and even Dr. Fate and them have relented to his dopeness because it's like, well, we kind of are like, I wanted to stop you because I thought that you were the same person that we stopped before. But there's something happened throughout the course of this story that evolved you. And I think right. that would be the only tricky part of the screenwriting. We've set up all the basic elements, but like what 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 would happen as he comes out? Because the thing is, I think it's very interesting that like the story, just the way that they did Sauron and goddamn Lord of the Rings, you know, telling all that giant Silmarillion, uh, Silmarillion story in like two seconds with him thrashing yeah. the army back with a sword, shit like that. Something of that nature, too. Kondak used to be exploited and fucked up. Then a dude found the power to stop them. Then he exploited and fucked everybody up. And yeah. then there came some champions to stop him. And da, 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 or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like telling that story sometime through the whole thing. But like the, the, the whole point of it is he got corrupted the first time because he didn't know how to handle it. And at some point you got to get him to like understand the responsibility he has and to, to have a gentle and the whole point of dr fate and hawkman fighting him that hard is to show him just like the movie we got man we're fighting you so hard because you got to have a gentler touch you have to be more of a protector leader guy than a killer asshole guy that could be so much more dramatically um explored in the framework that we're talking about here 100 percent. i mean here's the other thing you have that moment at the end where he smashes the throne that was supposed to be this great symbolic sort of capstone on his arc, but it really kind of means nothing because like that was never his goal in the movie. And so Mm -hmm. it's just this momentary where she's like, you know, you could be our new leader. And he's like, no, this is wrong. And then smashes it. Make the whole goddamn movie about that. Make it, he comes back And the only thing he knows how to do is to rule through fear. And so Mm -hmm. this whole movie is like, 
we aren't going to flee our enemies. We will crush our enemies. And so he's trying to rally all the people back into Kandak so that they can mount a resistance. And his whole thing is like, we will die before we give up this land. And then the, the role of, of Hawkman and Dr. Fate isn't heroes don't kill people. The role is like, you don't, you can't lead a country this way because all you're doing is marching your own people to death. And mm -hmm. like, it's a little bit the resolution of Superman Red Sun with the whole, why don't you just put the whole world in a bottle, Superman? And you, you could, I, I don't know exactly how they do it here as we're riffing in this 30 minute session, but it's like, they have to, make him confront the fact that history remembers him as more of a monster than he thinks in his own head, right? Like yeah. when I ruled, when I ruled, Kondok was strong and Kondok was the envy of the world. And it's like, no, actually when you ruled, everybody's lives sucked because they lived in fear of you. And do you, is that how you want the world to work and tie that back into the fact that his son was who he was make mm -hmm. a more explicit connection of like, do I want people who are like my son living in fear for their lives? That's not what I want in life. And boom, there's your resolution. And now it's like, we're going to, we're going to fend off this army at the end, not because I want to kill all my enemies, but because I want to provide the chance at life for my people. And it's like, it's mm -hmm. a shift that way. Yeah, and the whole thing is hit the way that they set it up. That was oh, that would be the eleventh. I got to get that extra rep in, brother. Uh, I loved, I loved the fact that it was his kid who got the powers, and then he the kid kind of as his dying wish gave him the powers of shit. I fucking love that. I was like, really wow, well finally no, something dope. One hundred percent, and especially the way that that information was kind of parceled out. I think it was a little bit ham fisted. You know, this was. I think this whole movie suffered a little bit from Fast and the Furious syndrome and that it's like they're just expecting their audience to just be kind of like dumb and frothing at the mouth. So everything mm -hmm. is a little more obvious than it needs to be. But the way that that information was parceled out throughout the edit of the movie and it becomes this important part of the third act where it's like, oh, holy shit, like the champion was never him. I guess this was more of the second act turn, but it was like the champion was never him. It was his son. And like all of this is because he lost his son and he's trying to make it up to him. That was mm -hmm. good. It's another one of those elements of the movie that could be great if they would have been able to take a step back from any one of the hundred other things that were going on to give it more of a focus dude and i think even check this out bro maybe something mm -hmm. like this fucking good black adam was ruling kandak but at not at his own behest it was like they were so uh they were so just you know used to being ruled he was having to work that out like they wouldn't do anything but rule but to worship him as, him as a god and he was trying to communicate to them that they were good guys or shit like that but then uh maybe even something like they start going out um evangelizing in his name and murdering a bunch of motherfuckers and that's oh, where that's dr cool. fate and hawkman come in you know what i'm saying it's like bro we gotta take you down because you influence these guys like look man I am, I'm sorry, I, I have the godlike part, but maybe you can help me. But they're like, now nah, we got to take you down. And that, that whole fucked up thing. And while they're fighting him, the, one of our, one of Kandak's enemies or something shoots Black Adam's uh, son and the special Achilles heel away or whatever. And his dying thing is to give his dad the powers. And his dad just mops everybody up and destroys everything. 
but still gets defeated by Dr. Fate at some rent. Started to fall apart, but to get that framework, I love that. But I was going to say, I mean, why not, shit, like, why not make Hawkman the guy who kills his son in the past? And then part of that resolution is like, this Hawkman has to convince him, like, I'm not that man. And even if I was, that man made a mistake. And like, you have mm-hmm. to forgive me. And so forgiveness becomes part of the storyline too. Dude, God damn it. See, that's why I need a time machine. <laughs> it is, it's so funny. People always think that if they had a time machine, all you would do is you like people be like, if I had a time machine, I go back and I would pitch fucking uh, back to the future or something to make a billion dollars. But right. the thing is you would go back and you would still be outside the studio gates of universal. <laughs> like, like you would go back <laughs> in time and still not have the opportunity to, to do that. Right. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't like people go back. I'll go back and kill Hitler. You just be outside of the palace or the bunker or whatever. Like, <laughs> like, right. Right. What are you going to do? You don't materialize. <laughs> you, it, people just it's assume like that life. time travel is also like a teleportation device. <laughs> I'm going to go back to 1941, but I'm going to go back to 1941 in the bunker in in Germany. Dressed as a ninja. Right. You know, this is like, wait a minute, change your clothes? Carrying uh, so, an M15 with me, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I show up as Snake Eyes with, with the, yeah, with the, with the M16, the M60 even. Fuck it. Yeah. I don't have to carry it for long. I just light light up all the people in the room, drop that motherfucker. They'd be like, <laughs> what, did, what did this uh, fucking 70s anti-aircraft gun, what is this doing in the 40s bunker? He starts some time cast Oh man. Your assumption is that time travel turns you into Jesse the Body Ventura from Predator. <laughs> That's <laughs> how does, isn't that how it works? That's how it works. Dude, uh, <laughs> I ain't got time to bleed. Like literally time. That's a time machine. <laughs> Did we just pitch a new franchise? <laughs> Dude, yeah, the fucking the ineffectual time travel assassin. Like he shows up, he's like, "Hey, man, he's got like a he's got some communicator to talk to the future." He's like, "How the fuck am I supposed to save Kennedy?" <laughs> like this Secret <laughs> Service is whooping my ass. There's, there's some there's some really hardcore group of like black ops military that are like, "All right, we're sending you back, and your mission is whatever." And he's like, "Wait, what? How am I supposed to do that?" They're like, "You're from the future." <laughs> You're smarter than them, and you get back, and all of them know their multiplication tables. They all like read books regularly, and you find out that you're from like idiocracy. I'm from the year 2062. What is calculus? <laughs> Wait a minute, I gotta, I gotta take a sip of my Gatorade. Hold on, <laughs> I've been, I've been working all day. I'm parched. I need some Gatorade. <laughs> But yeah, but so so <laughs> so basically, I I think this yeah with a little tweak of like being yes and Carter Hall being intimately involved with the with the downfall slash uprising of Black Adam, beautiful stuff, beautiful stuff, uh, and and dude, you know what was I I thought it was so funny that the way that they tried to push arcs into the movie, like you said, when he smashes the throne, he never really wanted to rule on a throne before. They didn't really, I, I mean, he might've been sitting down earlier, but I didn't really get the, I'd say, I've seen it like twice. I didn't really get the sense that he was like sitting around ruling like King Conan before. 
I didn't no. really get that sense that there was a king dude that was doing that shit and he came and tried to stop him or whatever. So it was just a nice little scene of him sitting there like Black Adam does in the comics. That's another thing. They they knew that you had seen Black Adam sit on thrones in the comics and they thought that it was going to be enough, that shorthand. I'm just like, why? In the movie, right. show him ruling with an iron fist and sitting on a throne and at the end he smashes a throne because he doesn't want to rule anymore. He wants to protect. Come on, man. This is simple stuff. It's, For real. I mean, it is it is A to B simple. And the fact that like... And I think that's the thing that's frustrating about this movie is that they were much more interested in going from A to X to J to Z to Q than they were in going from A to B. And like, you know me, I love complexity, but something like that, where it, like you could just hit the audience right in the gut with the, with the thematic and the emotional payoff of that. And they're just like, nah, we got all this other business to get to. And it's like, mm-hmm. why? Why do you have all that other business to get to? I don't mm-hmm. know, man. The, yeah. Like I said, the, it, maybe you put it better as like, you don't, you watch this movie, you don't get mad because it's poorly made, but Mm-mm. you get mad because you're like, why are you doing so much? Like, calm down. Well, I mean, why why are you doing so much? And why are you... Why why these choices? Why are you taking so much screen time to make these choices? That would be the way that I would say it. That's what you I mean. Yeah. That's, that's fair. That's probably a better way to say it. It's just, I mean, I, I don't know, even know if we want to get into this, but the the focus on the that family with the kid on the skateboard, oh, and the uncle fuck. and the mother, oh. it again, it feels like one of these things that at some point early in the process as you're writing, you go, man, what if like we're seeing this all through the eyes of like a family on the street and all they want is freedom in their country. And it's like these gods and monsters are fighting above them. And like, but they're our touchstone. Like they're our point of view characters. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. But then the way it's executed in the movie is like so convoluted it's stretched so thin. And, and on top of that, like, I hate to do this because you don't, I'm not talking shit on anybody, but casting directors right now, there is an epidemic of really insufferable child actors that has like run (laughs) through movies and television (laughs) all this year. And if you've seen the new avatar, you know what I'm talking about as well. (laughs) Dude, like, I thought we learned this lesson back in the 90s that when you get these kids who are, like, trained to be actors from the time they're five, they come across as so, like, cloying and annoying. And, like, <laughs> oh. Well, and, and you know what? My thing, my thing for that is this. This is this would be my off the top of the head. I'm trying to they're, – they're asking me. DC's brought me in. They're asking me, is this cool? And I go, I think it'd be just as good for that lady and maybe her, uh, like that lady being frankly older, which I know that they wouldn't do, that lady being older and her son being cool as a cool young man. And Mm -hmm. part of their thing they've done is be their own Indiana Jones. And they believe that Black Adam can be resurrected and brought out to the thing, or rather maybe mom believes it. And the son is like, she's going to be crawling around 
She's got she's got money from somewhere. She's gonna be crawling around in caves doing this bullshit. I gotta keep my mom safe. And they go on one of these dumb expeditions and they release the dragons from Reign of Fire, basically. That's mm-hmm. how you frame it. Like they they are responsible mm-hmm. for unleashing hell on earth again, which is how he's per- he's gonna be perceived at first or whatever when he comes out of his furor and he's doing this shit. He's just hell on earth. He's fucking shit up. B- civilians, people, it doesn't really matter. He's just too powerful. He's crackling all over the place. And the JSA now have some reason to come get him or whatever. And they have a reason to be really personally affected by the by what they unleashed. And through the same plot machinations of something like Reign of Fire they're present or they or or even um dr fate comes and consults them because they obviously have some powerful magic they unleashed them how, how what the fuck come they grab the, and they get snatched up into this magical adventure boom uh, that's kind of how i'd fix it i would cut down the number of family members cut down the number of whatever have their interplay be the comedy have this crazy mom finally being right to being like kind of like uh uh henry jones you know what i'm saying senior being like i fucking knew it motherfucker i knew it and that's why we're on a fucking hawkman ship kid and it, i did my whole fucking life I, my husband left me and everything was fucked up but fuck that yes i'm the man i fucking did this i'm the man now dog you know what i mean that <laughs> that sort of energy coming off the lady and the kid being like Fuh, or kid being 20 something shia labeouf sure. age type person being sure. like fuck dude all this shit is real. I feel so insignificant in the in the face of all of this. This is so overwhelming to sort of hero guy who helps at the end. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You got something there. You got the start of something. No, totally. I mean, look, if you want to go even more kind of visceral and serious and not milk comedy out of it, I would even say, to your point earlier, take the guy who's playing the uncle, make him the husband, and make her mm-hmm. pregnant. And like mm. it becomes their freedom fighters out of necessity because there's this imminent invasion and, you know, there's this occupying force or whatever. And so all he wants is to get them out of the country. We need to evacuate. Like we can't mm. risk this. And her pushback is like, I don't want to bring a child into the world where we're running from our enemies. And, you know, they could still be obsessed with this legend and everything in the same way. But again, yeah, just strip it back so that it's like they have a very visceral A or B choice. We could leave and be safe or we could take a chance on staying and possibly die. And it's like he wants to do one. She wants to do the other. And she wins. And they unleash Black Adam. And it's a very, I mean, it's it's a straight up genie out of the bottle story. And yes, Mm -hmm. you would have to do some work to justify their continued presence in the plot. But whether you tie that to the JSA, whether you tie that to, you know, what happens when they release Black Adam and him recognizing them as being something or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. again, it's just strip it back, strip it back, make it. Yeah. Even something simple as like only a person from Kondak can give him sanction to exist in our dimension now due to some spell that got cast by whatever you know what i'm saying like only him being like that that's how you put him back in the bottle is having one of his people bring him forth or put him back that's how about this how about this shit right so the spell that in that traps him could only you know can only be broken by somebody from kondok and maybe there's some other machinations in there but then once he's resurrected his soul is bound to that person and so the jsa shows up wanting to kill her because they know that they can't kill him, but if they kill her, then he goes back into his prison. 
And so that is a direct, he knows it too. So then he feels like he has to protect her and the JSA feels like we are doing the world a favor. And you get that whole storyline about killing or not killing in a much more organic way where it's like, they don't want to do it, but they recognize if we kill this one woman, we're really going to spare the world. And it's like, they almost want to convince her of that. Right. And they want to convince her husband of that, but it's also like, who's going to actually pull the trigger and kill whether she's pregnant or not. Like, Who's going to actually want to pull the trigger? But meanwhile, Black Adam's like, I must protect you with my life because now our souls are bonded as you have given me freedom. And there you go. I mean, I think I think that's pretty good. I think that they would pretty much balk at anybody in the JSA. Besides, I may, maybe they would have put it off of Carter Hall with a slight change of his characterization, or rather, if they gave him characterization, well, him right. being like, "Ah, oh, I might, I might have to do it. I might have to kill somebody. I don't want to, and I'll be violating my code or whatever." But I do think you get a lot of that by having her just bound to him and like she has the power of the whole movie to make him go away. So they're fighting over her and trying to convince her of stuff. He's fighting to protect her and shit like that. You still have kind of the same dynamic without it kind of being our heroes might murder a lady. You know what I'm saying? I think you you get a lot of the same things across. 100% agreed. Um, And maybe it's just as simple as like, they're trying to, they're trying to take her, kidnap her, get her alone so Dr. Fate can perform some ritual where he essentially like channels through her to get to Black Adam. Mm-hmm. But like doing so is going to put a lot of stress on her. And by the way, she's pregnant. And it's yeah. like, do we want to risk that? And then, by the way, you also give some actual reason for Adam Smasher and Cyclone to be there as these young kids that they recruited being like, you can't do this. Like, you can't risk mm-hmm. this woman. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Dr. Dr. Fate being completely removed from it, like, this is the only way. And then Carter Hall being more of a utilitarian guy, like, I don't want to do it, but sometimes this is the cost of war. You know what I mean? That It no. just creates such an interesting moral dynamic within those characters that if they have to be there, you got to give them something meaty like that. Exactly. Yeah. If they have to be there is very key because I would... <sighs> I would love to throw Adam Smasher and Cyclone Lady into the fucking sun. I thought they were so worthless. I thought they were both trying so hard with what they got. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know Adam Smasher was like, fuck, they're making me be low-key comic uh, relief. These gags have already been done better in Ant-Man and different things. I'm just going to have to go with it and be as present as I can and put this uh, lightweight, like, I'm infatuated with the Cyclone chick, you know, it a little bit then like she kind of no, seems to know what she's doing and she's like quirky like freddie from a different world or something and she's like rides a fucking steampunk bike up to the <laughs> to the place and you know I, I i you know what that whole thing they're trying so hard and even like i think this director i think if you gave this particular director something good to film they would do a good job or at least a decent job a fast Agreed. and the furious five level job at least which would make so much money. That's the th- yeah. I mean, I I think that they're a little bit hampered by the glossiness of the Fast and the Furious aesthetic. So if you really wanted to lean into like the dark magic and eldritch magic and things like that, it's a little bit at odds. But then again, like the whole you know ancient tomb sequence where he's resurrected, I think leans in that direction. So. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, maybe maybe it is just 
this same director, this same cast with better material could have done a fine job. Oh, and this is the part where we must transition into now that we've seen what we've seen and it is what it is. It is time to Mm. look a little bit forward into DC. Now, one of the things on this podcast that's a recurring thing is us examining what the fuck's going to happen with the DC universe. We do it with as much information as we have at the time, and we're going to keep doing it because the situation keeps changing. You can't say, oh, I heard one war report of the Middle East or or anywhere in the world that there's war. You can't listen to one war report because the shit changes. The nation states change, you know, and it has happened in DC presently. The nation state has changed, even though Superman shows... Superman shows up at Amanda Waller's behest. I'll let you guys parse that. My only commentary on that is, once again, I love Frank Miller. I say it with no equivocation. I understand he's made some mistakes and this and that and the other. And I understand that there's people who excoriate the level of sort of low-key fascism he brought into the Batman mythos and other DC stuff. But my man, one of the worst things is this weird Dark Knight Returns hangover from Zack Snyder's influence. And what I mean by that is in the Dark Knight Returns, the original book, Superman is just sort of a a feckless champion of whoever's in power. And that's part of what's wrong with that world, that any person in power can call Superman up on the superphone. He's going to pick up a goddamn crystal like Batman for the 1960s (laughs) show and talk to the goddamn president through this crystal and do whatever the fuck they say, even though he's the most powerful motherfucker in the world, because that's his like bargaining chip with humanity. That's his olive branch to us is that he'll do whatever the fucking president says. Totally ridiculous. Never bought it for a second it was what was so crazy about dark knight returns is like batman seeing that a world like that a world where the president's telling batman or and superman what to do is bullshit and crazy that was a great thing he contributed to the comic mythos but somehow it's been hanging over this at no point with this president superman be doing what the fuck amanda waller says come on man that doesn't make any sense it's so wild and for as hyped as that cameo was and everybody walking in knew like it's going to be three seconds in the post credit scene and still everybody was hyped about it. And even for something so minuscule to get it that wrong was hilarious to me. Like yes. all you had, all you had to do was not make him essentially the muscle for Amanda Waller. And you didn't even get that right. Like that was wild. Wild. I'm talking about feral cat left in Antarctica wild that shit's wild so i think it goes without saying that ed and i are at least theoretically in favor of some of the big shifts happening at dc is that correct um i am very let's get let's get right into it i am very excited about it i know people who kind of and i'm not making some straw man because everybody's excited about james gunn spectacular fucking Success, spectacular failure. Everybody's excited for whatever is going to happen. But the only bad thing that I thought that someone brought up to me is the president of the studio basically is writing the screenplay for Superman. Who the fuck's going to tell him no when Jeff Johns was trying to do shit? Nobody could tell him no. It sucked. When motherfuckers, nobody could tell you no at all. That sucks. Yeah, I I do think there is some question as to how this is all going to work even above and beyond that. But the fact that there is that glaring red light right away in this new scenario 
you go, well, I mean, theoretically, that's what Peter Safran's there for is to like keep him honest. And Peter Safran's a good producer. And I think that the focus on James Gunn has maybe not given that guy enough focus as being the co-CEO of DC Studios. But yeah, there is still that problem of like, so is James Gunn also going to direct this movie? Like, is his focus going to be on using this Superman movie as the ultimate launching point for like everything else he's planning on doing theoretically with no interference from the studio, if rumors are to be believed. Um, and by studio, I mean like David Zasloff and the board of directors uh, mm-hmm. at Warner brothers, which starts to sound a little bit like how things happened with Zack Snyder, where it's like, <laughs> I, I am going to make a Superman movie that lays down the foundation for, you know, these other six movies that I'm planning on making. And it's all going to be this one big storyline and they're not really going to get up my ass about the tone and the content. And then we're just going to assume that we're going to make the rest of the stuff. You would hope that James Gunn himself at least learned the lesson of like, don't count those chickens before they hatch. Um, But yeah, the structure of this whole thing is certainly not in place to really rein him in um, if he hasn't Mm. learned those lessons. Yes. Uh, But that being said, I got to say, I think it's going to work out because Superman needs to be light. We've always talked about it. Superman Mm. needs to be light and then have moments that are so terrible and heavy that you're like shocked out of the, 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 the good feeling that Superman's put you in. And you're just like, Oh man, how's Superman going to do this? And then he does it and overcomes and impresses you. Even with all his powers, he impresses you. And then he sets things right again. And you, and you go, Oh, you can relax. And, and he's there to protect you. And you leave the theater thinking that your best friend really got your back. That's gotta be the movie, dude. Sorry. That's the movie has to be. Anything other than that is doing some same old bullshit, trying to make it too complicated, make him too dour, make the weight of the world be all on him. They've done that with Superman Returns, with Man of Steel, with, you know, Dawn of Ass, all this, all this shit. They've done, (laughs) they've done that stuff. So you got to make this, by definition, you got to make this one light, then heavy when it needs to be, and then light again. You got to do that by definition. One of my other filmmaker buddies we were walking uh, the other day and uh, as part of my get not fat regimen. And he was like, man, I don't give a fuck about them doing Superman again. I think that's wrongheaded. I understand that DC is built on the Trinity and all that bullshit, but there's a hundred people more interesting and got them sitting here, there, there. They just, you know, talk about all these tertiary characters. And I really appreciate that point of view, but all I have to say about it is this, and I'll keep it shorter for you than I did for him. Sure. The Trinity has to work in DC for the whole shit to function because you got to have a Batman worthy and able to have Robins to ever get to the Nightwings and the Cassandra Canes and all the stuff that I want to get to. And you got to have a Wonder Woman that works as like we were kind of come riffing a little bit. Uh, Superman is your best friend and your buddy and the righteous pillar of whatever. Batman is the paranoia and the underneath of all the whole world, knowing everybody's secrets, knowing all that stuff. And him, he balances out the light of Superman. But both of them are a little bit shocked at the appearance of this Wonder Woman who is like, I'm from the past, bro. I don't give a fuck about like laws and things like, yes, I'll coddle kids and I'll save women from slavers and I'll be your upstanding superhero. But some throats might get slit. Dudes might get thrown in outer space. I don't know, man. I'm a warrior, dude. Like I'm out of time. 
You know what I mean? Something like that as the Troika and getting that exactly right. And that Batman, for all this paranoia, needing partners and needing to indoctrinate people into his shit so he could later, 10 years down the line, play somebody breaking away from him and going to Bloodhaven and getting their own thing. That Troika has to be established perfectly and correctly for all the for the water to flow down to all the oh i'm, I'm describing trickle down economics as superheroes bill oh my god the republicans finally got me <laughs> hey listen we've been seeing it coming a long time nobody's surprised <laughs> the conservative creep has been happening um no i mean I, look <laughs> i obviously agree with you i think they're there might be a counter argument there in that, like, I have always felt DC has no middle tier, right? At mm. DC, you're either you're either a Justice League member or you're some like weird on the outskirts hero that could be really, really interesting. But the way that Marvel has this deep bench of sort of middle tier heroes, where it's like guys that justify their own books but like are never going to save the world on their own and are intertwined with each other's lives in these weird and dynamic ways. Like DC doesn't have that. Maybe Aquaman, maybe. And see, that's the thing, like off the top of my head, I can't even go deeper than Aquaman because then you get into guys like Metamorpho or Booster Gold or Black Canary and Green Arrow. And like, to me, those guys are all essentially guardians of the galaxy level heroes which is why I think James Gunn could do some interesting things if he stayed away from the Trinity and from the Justice League in general of DC. But also, that makes no business sense whatsoever. So there's no way in hell the studio is going to let him do that. So given that you want to play with your most expensive toys, I agree with you 100%. Like, you have to build that foundation around the Trinity or else nothing else is really going to work. I mean, people love to be like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll, um, like uh, this filmmaker I was talking to, he's like, yeah, man, we'll just, why can't we have a question movie? And I'm like, yes, I would love to have Batman meet the question or the, or the, or Batman kind of shows up and gives his blessing to the question at the end of, of a big ass adventure. Cause the question knew some shit that Batman didn't know. The question knows a lower level, <laughs> of of the dc universe that batman doesn't even know and it's like wow dude like you really did something there that was really ill <laughs> like like uh let's let's talk about some shit or whatever and that kind of leads into the bigger universe but like i i definitely agree that they have some other characters that are super fresh but it's like if i if you made me write a question movie i would take a year or two to really try to parse out what are the most important parts, whatever. And, and, and I probably would be great for a question movie because I love detective shit. I love street level. And I would introduce Lady Shiva. Lord knows I would. You know, <laughs> well, and it, it'd be like the question meeting John Wick. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I think this is going to get into a larger point. But even if you just look at the question, there's one of two things that you could do. And I agree that it would take a while to really build the most satisfying version of either But either the question lives in his own hermetically sealed world where he's untangling conspiracies and mysteries and whatever that are really just important within the world you create. So that's sort of a Dashiell Hammett novel as superhero. Or the question lives in a much bigger world and is exploring conspiracies and mysteries that lead to bigger, crazier things, at which point, if you don't have, you know, 
the government figured out and your Batman figured out and your aliens figured whatever it is that he's going toward, you have to have that figured out. Exactly. And people are very fond of being like, like Booster Gold, uh, another screenwriting friend I know uh has like a booster gold pitch and all all these people that go oh well i want to do martian manhunter they don't mean anything and, and if they don't have any relationship to the rest of the dc universe in my personal opinion now i do agree that if i were in charge and somebody came with me with the best martian manhunter pitch that had zero to do with anything it was almost like joker but with mm-hmm. martian manhunter and he's in like maybe the communist uh, section of, you know, of time, you know, and I guess the fifties where people were getting blacklisted and shit like that. If it was something like that and he's like got these immense powers, but he can't, he's, he's, he's a trapped alien in this world where everybody's suspicious anyway, or somebody gave me a beautiful pitch like that. Or, or they gave me a a seventies fucking the long goodbye type of fucking uh, the seventies version of Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler stories. And he was a detective. And he happened to be a goddamn Martian and shit. Knock yourself out, dude. Let's get nuts. But this guy who can morph through walls, change into different shapes, is stronger than Superman, has fucking eye beams, flies out of space under his own power. I don't know how interested I am in that on screen, really. That's another Black Adam waiting to happen. But if he's an alien getting his shit together in the 70s, that's interesting. Well, and that's that's kind of what I'm saying when I say that DC has no like mid-tier superheroes. I think what I mean by that is DC has very few characters that you can build bits and pieces on, right? I I would love to see DC do what you're talking about. I think the question is a standalone, Martian Manhunter is a standalone, even something like Adam Strange is a standalone, where it's like, mm. look. We're just going to make this about this character in a very specific milieu and give them something that's really thematically resonant to like what they are as these fictional pieces. You could really do get a lot of mileage out of what I would call like the lower tier DC characters. But I don't think that's what they hired James Gunn to do. You know what I mean? Right. And so. And that's why I've been a little bit heartened. There's some rumors coming out that like they're looking really strongly at Young Justice and Justice and the Justice League cartoons as a jumping off point. And to me, that makes a shit ton of sense because those are the two versions of the DC story that have done what I've always wanted to see out of DC, out of this world where you have unreal cities that are meant to be like uber almost platonic ideal versions of ideas about what cities and civilization could be with gods and monsters and aliens from many different places coming here and living in disguise or trying to take over. There's time. There's all this shit, right? You almost by necessity, if you want that to be your story world, you've got to fucking do world building. Like everything connects Mm -hmm. to everything else and impacts everything else. It's not the world right outside your window. And I think the closest we've ever seen to DC embracing that ethos are the DCAU, the Justice League, Justice League Unlimited cartoons, where Mm -hmm. it is about like world power and like conflicting, you know, entities having all of these different agendas. And then that's taken up even a notch further in Young Justice, which has been flying under the radar for a long time, but is now four seasons in. And I mean, that the 
the connections of all the storylines in that show are so Byzantine that you almost get lost in them. But the thing that they do is like, look, Rachel Ghoul is leading the League of Shadows. That's not just a thing that's out there and doesn't affect the world. It's like, no, they're used by governments to destabilize countries and they're controlling various parts of economies and they have different bases and hideouts all over the world that are protected by either crime syndicates or this or that. And it's like, that's the only way to make the DC world compelling is like you have to take all of the conceits and push them to their most logical conclusions. And so to me, that's the only way that you do the big guns of DC. And hopefully that's sort of what they're thinking through here as they're putting the foundations together for this universe. I, I really hope that that would be the case. So now as we dismount, we get to, uh, it was funny the when we talked to Pat Casey and Josh uh, Miller on the uh, Violent Night episode or whatever, Christmas, best action movies, whatever the fuck we called it. When we, on that episode, we were talking about like, don't give away the good stuff for free. So I'm going to try to do less super hot pitching on the, on the show because, uh, uh, but it'd be really great if executives listen to the show. and was like, okay, that was a throwaway pitch, but that's pretty good. So uh, let's mm-hmm. bring them in for some meetings. So mm-hmm. in that spirit, throw away, but not necessarily throw away. Everybody's heard me go on and on about how I would love to do Cass Kane. I would love to do Lady Shiva. Let's, let's, let's dig deeper. This is another workout okay. character. You never even thought of. Cause like you did a good one. Adam strange. Never thought about that motherfucker in my life, but it was, it's, so great that he could be like a guy who's just like flash gordon for lack of a better word scientist becomes flash gordon sign me up just as a concept sign me up you know sure let's see what you do with it you know i i I love stuff like that I, i mean i'll jump on one here um that really is not my bag if you've listened to this show for a while but the creeper was always a character that i thought you could do something with yeah. Um, yeah. And again, this, I don't know. I don't know if this fits into like the larger DC universe, but in that way that we were talking about Martian Manhunter or question or whatever, like think about doing sort of a, a hallucinogenic, like psychedelic, almost drug fueled romp about this, you know, low level or mid level reporter in a city that's overrun by crime who essentially gets like, the Green Goblin formula from the first Spider-Man movie where it gives him, you know, superpowers, but it also turns him into like this manic weirdo. And so he's going out at night and maybe like the first time he takes it, it's because he's chasing a story and there's almost shades of like Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal in there. He becomes this guy who's sort of like addicted to it, you know, and it just becomes this weird, like half horror, half surrealistic sort of romp through you know the seedy underbelly of us it's like it's like you take nightcrawler you take martin scorsese's bringing out the dead and then you put like (laughs) a heaping of joker on top of it where you just Mm -hmm. get like this really weird kind of manic character in the middle of it almost maybe even like a little bit of christian bale's the machinist where it's like part of it is sort of figuring out what's driving him. And the other part of it is like, what the fuck is he even going to encounter when he's out there with his weird yellow skin and green hair and all that? I don't know, man. I think that you could do some cool shit with the creeper. A journalist and talk show host turned (laughs) turned super stalker, strange hero out in the streets. 
fucking beautiful shit. Um, you know what? I would just kind of go deep into the assassin verse of DC mm-hmm. because like, even if you don't fuck with Lady Shiva and you don't fuck with whatever, I got to say, you even, even if Deathstroke is like the Dalai Lama of killers or the Pi May from uh, Kill Bill of sure. killers to where he's unapproachable. You see him for a few minutes in a movie or something like that. All of those, like all the Jung Justice assassin characters, Bushmaster and his yes. daughter and these motherfuckers. There's something in there, dude. Like that, 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 that whole beast. Thing. Yes. There's something do in a that section. Beast movie. <laughs> dude. Like I, I would do, I would honestly do KG beast versus Deathstroke. I mean, honestly to me, to me, that's very simple. Like, this is America's super soldier. And in DC, we're not pussies about ours. We're not, mm-hmm. we're not little, oh, we don't have a shield and pretend we didn't kill anybody in World War II. We got super soldiers murdering fools, and the Russians got them one. And they and check it out. Deathstroke and KG Beast tangled a long time ago. And Deathstroke did to KG Beast what Batman does to KG Beast, which is lock him away and throw away the key and and, and basically kill him in essence. But yeah. KG Beast survived or the program survived. We don't really know. But the KG Beast is back. And now not necessarily old man Deathstroke, but certainly wiser man Deathstroke has to do white hair the- Deathstroke. Yes. Uh, white haired Deathstroke has to deal with this crime he committed in the 80s, basically, before Glass knows the shit. He murdered Russia's guy. And that was the thing that won the won the Cold War. You know, what I'm I like Something that like a lot. That. Yeah, there's there's like shades of old boy in that too, where like yes. KGB finally gets free and he's just on this mission. And you know what's really cool about that too is you can throw in guys like Buana Beast or Bronze Tiger, and it's like yes. there's almost this underbelly where like every nation has its own like unstoppable fighting super soldier. And they all kind yeah. of know about each other, but the public doesn't know about them. Mm-hmm. And do and at the end of that movie, you introduce a Lady Shiva or something, or you know, so yeah. It's just there's so many. There, there's a, I, you know what? While you're bullshitting, I think Bronze Tiger, and you do it proper, and you do it's so funny. I think I didn't didn't Michael Jai White play Bronze Tiger in some low budget thing that DC did to CW or something? Really, I'm making that up. But if it didn't happen, it should have happened. And I just, I hate that we, as a culture, wasted Michael Jai White. We we got, it's like when you see somebody throw away like a half a tube of toothpaste or like a, or like a fucking three fourths of a sandwich after they take two bites yeah. or something. That's what we did. Low key with Jackie Chan, yeah. but way a bunch with Michael Jai White. I don't know how we did that. I mean, the fact that Michael Jai White's two best-known credits are Spawn and then just being a suit in the Dark Knight, like, that's a crime. Right. And and, and, it, and you know what? And, and uh, black people would say Black Dynamite, but again, that was independently that's fair. That's fair. made. That was independently made. That wasn't – some studio didn't say, this is a great thing, which they should have. Like, Black Dynamite exactly. – black- do Black Dynamite with a I love $28 million budget would have been the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> I love Black Dynamite. And I he's fantastic as Black Dynamite, too. So, yes, I agree with you on that. Dude. No, man, like, that's the thing. And, I, again, I don't think that DC or Warner Brothers hires James Gunn with this expectation. But there is a really cool buildup you could do where you could do, like, 
a bronze tiger movie that's all about like this underworld of assassins. You're building up the John Wick mythology of yes. the DC universe. And that's what uh, that would put over Batman. When Batman runs into these guys and can fuck with them at all, you're like, wow, good on you. Batman being able to take any of these guys out non-lethally should yes. be incredible. It should be incredible given what you've seen, the John Wicks that you've seen of these characters before they even interact with them. So, like, without giving – I'm not going to give this one away for free because I'm ultimately using it as part of the backstory for something I'm doing um, that's not DC. But I've always had this really cool idea of essentially using the Challengers of the Unknown, OMAC, Adam Strange, and um, essentially the, the precursor for whatever it is that Amanda Waller ends up running. We'll see. Now I'm going to – I'm just going to – I'll give you the one-liner. The challenges of the unknown are contracted by the government to, you know, intercept what they what they're told is like an unlimited power source. But it turns out to be Adam Strange returning on the Zeta beam. And they're like, we're not going to fucking kidnap a guy. And so then they end up helping him on the run until he can get to the next Zeta beam. And the government sends OMAC after them. And it turns out to just be this chase movie of the challenges of the unknown helping Adam Strange stay alive long enough to catch the next Zeta beam while OMAC is chasing them. But the whole thing is done as sort of an introduction to the sci-fi elements of the DC universe. And so from there, Superman, the Adam, Green Lantern can all spring. But you start it with this really like ground level under the radar period, I would do it in the 80s, mm -hmm. version of things using all of these C-listers. Dude, that'd be so sick because it's like it's a, it's shades of a little bit of Terminator without being dumb, you know. Yeah. And 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 while you're bullshitting, you know what I would do? The John Byrne OMAC, mm. dude, just fucking do that as a movie. Maybe get some balls to do it as a black and white movie, a futuristic black and white movie with fucking OMAC in a in a post apocalyptic wasteland where. We flash back to when there were cities and towns and shit, and OMAC was trying to do his job, but this Mr. Big guy just got the better of him, and over the machinations of the world, the world just fucking ended. The hero could not save everybody. So now there's roving bands and this Mad Maxi, and you're a warrior across the wastelands, and people will give you a meal and offer you a woman, you know what I'm saying, for your for your services of destroying the hunter killers that are menacing these tribes of people. And it's just like that. It's like a Conan movie in the future. And then you finally get to fight Mr. Big and you kill him. But then a whole nother adventure starts. Like, <laughs> dude, I, that was a it was crazy and it was Bernie. But God damn it. That shit fired my imagination for fucking years. That John Byrne black and white OMAC. I think it's three issues. Uh, Maxi's or pre, uh, Prestige series, beautiful shit. Yeah, well, and see that goes back to our conversation. Like, if you're going to do these one-off franchises that don't have to build anything, I think that's a great option. If you're going to use these, you know, C-list characters to build to something bigger, I've always loved the Jack Kirby version of OMAC without the future setting. Right, so. OMAC was originally the one-man Army Corps, and Buddy Blank volunteered much like Steve Rogers, but instead of giving him an injection and turning him into an Aryan super soldier, they bond him with technology, and he turns into this, like, weirdo freak with his brain plugged into the internet, essentially, and he has, like, these spontaneous transformations into um, this super soldier. It goes on to uh, in introduce 
all these other weird elements like the brother eye satellite, which is sort of this panopticon that is connected to OMAC. And it's like how he uses to, you know, to spy on the world. And then there's like disposable androids that come in suitcases that you could put together to go on missions. And my thought is just like, that should be the precursor to Cadmus or as Kirby had the DNA project where like before we start, you know, genetically engineering metahumans, we're building weird androids and weird technology that can like consume your body and serve like this sci-fi surveillance state. And because of sort of the actions of all these underground C-listers, call it through like the 80s, 90s and early 2000s, all this shit is happening out of the public eye. By the time Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman come to prominence here in about our modern day, you've established all this cool shit. And so like in the Superman universe, you have the DNA project or the Cadmus project, which has grown out of OMAC. And now it's like they're engineering, you know, unstoppable behemoths that can rival Superman with all of your underground assassins. Now you've got people that like Batman shows up and he can beat their ass. And now there's escalation from that. And with Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman, you'd have to do the same thing with magic. But like, to me, that's an amazing way to build this up. I just don't think they're going to do it because it's like it's too much of a slow burn. Yeah, yeah. So in closing, I think and you think they should uh, start their fire slowly, keep blowing on it, get it bigger and bigger. They are going to pour a whole can of fucking lighter fluid to the, throw the can into the blaze with this yeah. Superman project. And I just hope. That I hope that that approach makes a nice big fire that the rest of the characters can warm their hands uh, around. You know what I mean? Because I, I think that that's going to be that's going to be the way they're going to play it. And again, I think uh, as we stated at the top of this, the top tier characters of which Black Adam is not one, but the top tier DC characters. <laughs> have to shine and i think them rethinking recontextualizing as a dismount here i would like to just uh, make my final pitch for straight up daniel warren johnson doing that wonder woman comic where wonder woman basically is the last superhero left dead Dead earth Earth. yeah yeah the dead earth wonder woman is the one that shows up in our time not necessarily having the trauma that that woman had but like i'm tough i'm rough i'm gonna be the last one standing I have these morals that go back to a warrior tradition that you guys, you non-killing pussy ass people probably don't understand. I am here now, though, and I'm your mm-hmm. Thor. I'm your person at time. I'm your consummate warrior. I'm your – the only reason why I'm not the leader is not necessarily – in her case, it isn't that she isn't smart enough. It's that she's too busy to be sitting around delegating anything to anybody. She's right. action. And so I, I just really need them to get that part right. Because I think, and it's the only part that Zack Snyder almost got right in his conception of her, honestly. I was just going to say, I mean, I think the real highlight of the Snyderverse was Wonder Woman in Batman v Superman and then the subsequent Patty Jenkins origin story. Like, Mm -hmm. that stood out amongst the rest. And I think if you were going to have sort of the old-fashioned notion of the ambassador of peace who then I guess in the modern context sort of evolves cynically into more of a warrior. They did that about as well as you could do that. 
I like what you're saying because I see the multi-film storyline where she shows up as the hottest shit on the block who's not going to hear anything from anybody and will kill whatever the fuck she wants to kill and sort of gets tempered by the relationships with the modern world and finds her place you know, where she can be an ally, she could be a part of the team, she could be even a leader, where rather than being sort of this, you know, uber powerful lone wolf type character. And yeah, I she's a barbarian, that, my point. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's working yeah. in the barbarian into your team. 100%. And I, again, I think that gives her a more interesting place to go rather than positing a world and like this is the problem with all of the Zack Snyder stuff in general whereas positive rather than positing a world where the longer she sticks around like the more vicious brutal and jaded she becomes because that just sucks man and it's yeah. like that that was true of Wonder Woman that was true of Batman and that was gonna be true of Superman until they killed him and it's like can we do the reverse of that please oh real quick we have to acknowledge one thing of all the projects they're talking about, they talk about Aquaman two. They talk about this. They talk about that. We we're looking at the the death throes of that version of the DC universe, and a big uh, elephant in the room. It's funny because elephants are slow, and this character is fast. Fuck it, the Flash. They're spending Super Bowl ad money to promote the Flash movie. They already spent so much fucking money on and giving all of Ezra Miller's problems and in, in, in the, in the production and this and, that and the other, and then cycling through directors like, a, like that Gatlinga Jesse Ventura used in fucking predator. You know what I mean? Like, ah, that's well, weird. I, I will say this. They haven't cycled through directors since it went into production. Yes. yes Andy, yes. Andy Muschietti, who did it, um, has stuck with this thing through, now they haven't been dealing with multiple directors. They've been dealing with multiple Batman and multiple cancellations of tie-in films and all this mm-hmm. other shit. And so, so many reshoots, so many retoolings, so many corporate mandates, but it has been that guy through all of it. And so I think if nothing else, hopefully it still has an enjoyable authorial voice rather than some of the other, you know, dissected DC movies of the past where it's just like, what the fuck is this? Um, But I think it will be interesting to see, like, is that going to be a diegetic device, like an in-story acknowledged device to reset the table? Or is it going to feel more like Black Adam where it's like this vestigial leftover of things that may have come? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I I think that's the best way to state it, and that's about as much as I want to talk about it. So <laughs> that that is definitely um, our take on the DC Universe coming up. Maybe you guys have other characters you want to pitch, but uh, you're not going to do better than uh, Bronze Tiger, so don't try. No, please do try. <laughs> Hit us up in the comments and 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 also please leave a five star review with your pitches for some of these things. I let's I don't I don't think that Warner Brothers needs our help, but amongst our community. I think a lot of us care about the DC universe, if only to be a, a, a great competition to uh, the Marvel universe. Like the, the distinguished competition is necessary to make Marvel as great as it can be. I think. I think Marvel kind of started slipping a little bit because they got no comp. You know what I mean? I really yep. think that they need that comp. Let's get some comp. You know what I'm saying? I, I think you could, you play better when you have comp. So, uh, yeah, and, and we there is no competition for our podcast. So give us five stars, you fuckers. <laughs>
Agreed. Nothing more to say there. Oh, and uh, last things last, please do uh, join the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod. Um, it really helps us out. You throw us a few shekels. Um, we, I think uh, Ron caught us up on sending the art, uh, and uh, we definitely have years of extra content on the pot on the uh on the patreon so uh bill i think i'll let you have the last word and take us on out with your rendition of our outro because uh it's christmas time i'm in a given mood (laughs) thank you for listening to another holly jolly old lang syne edition of the greatest pod